In concluding our uh, Christmas message series called It's Christmas Time, I'd like to uh, present a message today called At Just, At Just the Right Time. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? God's relationship with time, it's paradoxical. God is eternal, and yet he steps in and works with us in time. God created time. In the beginning, God created. Uh, time started with God saying, let there be light, and time will conclude when the light of the world uh, returns. And the biblical view, the Christian view of time is so different from that of the ancient pagan world, which viewed time as simply being circular, just operating in circularity. You know, one thing after another. What goes around comes around. But the biblical view of time is linear. In the beginning, God created, and we are moving towards a climax and towards a destiny. And God is at work, and he's at work at just the right time. I have four points today. Here's the first one. At just the right time, Christ was born into our world. He was born into our world. There's a passage of Scripture out of Galatians chapter 4. It was read earlier, but listen to this. And by the way, this is going to be the first sort of a declaration of the incarnation that you'll find in Scripture because the book of Galatians is one of the very first books of the Bible written. But when the fullness of time had come, isn't that an interesting phrase? We'll come back to that in a moment. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman. There you go. That's a very, very succinct declaration of the incarnation. God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under law. In other words, Jesus came and he will be fully equipped to become a perfect sacrifice for us. Notice the purpose of his coming. So that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. In other words, the Bible teaches us to view God as our Father because Jesus Christ came on a mission to bring us by His grace into His family. And that's good news. And so you're no longer a slave. You're no longer an employee. You don't think of yourself that way, but you're a son, you're a daughter, you're a child, and you're an heir through God. God is our Father. We have the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit to you and me, it's God's declaration to the entire universe, to the entire spiritual world, that we belong to Him. We belong to God. We're His sons and we are His daughters. And at the fullness of time, Christ was born. Why was Christ born when he was born? Answer, it was time. God does not do things early. He doesn't do things late. He does things in a timely fashion. And though there are times you might think, well, what's God up to? It's not yet. It's not yet. Never confuse a not yet with a not happening. And when the time was just right, Christ was born 
of a woman sent from God. His power and his presence are not on hiatus. He's still at work. And what happened in the fullness of time, at just the right time, God did. God broke in, God acted, and he acted in his way. And when Christ was born, the world was ready and waiting, almost like a desert eager for water, like rich soil eager to receive that seed. And Christ came into the world. Scholars believe there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. And certainly, one of the features of the fullness of time is that Christ came and he fulfilled prophecy. Dr. Peter Stoner was the chairman of the Department of Mathematics at Pasadena College. And he challenged 600 students from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship to look at only eight messianic prophecies. Born in Bethlehem, preceded by a messenger, riding on a donkey, betrayed by a friend, sold for 30 pieces of silver, money used to buy a potter's field, he would be silent as a lamb, and his feet pierced. And his point was, is that the probability of one person fulfilling even one of those prophecies, much less eight of them, is incredibly remote. And he illustrated it like this. He said, if you were to cover the entire great state of Texas, he didn't use the word great, I used the word great. If you were to, if you were to cover the entire great state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep, that total number would be about 10 to the 17th power. Now, just choose one of those silver dollars and put a mark on it and then put it back. And then tell someone to thoroughly stir all of those silver dollars around the great state of Texas. Now, blindfold someone and tell them they can travel wherever they want in Texas, wherever they want in the great state of Texas. But at some point, they must pick up one of those silver dollars. And the chance of finding that one silver dollar with a mark on it in a pile of coins two feet deep covering the state of Texas would be the chance of the prophets getting those eight prophecies correct for any one person. That's from Peter Stoner's book called Science Speaks, Scientific Proof of the Accuracy of Prophecy in the Bible. And if you believe in the claims of Jesus, he came at just the right time. And don't think that because it was 2,000 years ago, and 8,500 miles away from here, that it's remote. It's not remote. Don't feel separated from the fact of his life, the fact of his crucifixion, the fact of his resurrection, the fact of his ascension, the fact of his ongoing ministry. And he came in the right way for you. He's accessible. And any obstacle you sense... Any sort of uh, hesitation you might feel. You say, oh, if I, if I could have just lived when Christ walked the earth. You remember what Jesus told Thomas? He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you believe. But blessed are those who've not seen, and yet they believe. 
But he came, and he came with the right reason, and we were just singing about it. For God so loved you. And at just the right time, Christ was born into our world. And secondly, at just the right time, Christ died for our sins. Romans chapter 5. Notice this wording. You see at just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates. What's the demonstration of God's love? He demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Now, don't stop reading there. Because he's going to now use one of his classic how much more arguments. Since we have now been justified by his blood, justified by his death, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You get what he's saying? You want to know the demonstration of God's love for you? When you were alien and argumentative and resistant and rebellious and rebellious, and before you ever took a step in God's direction, Christ died for you. C.S. Lewis said, a rebellious heart is not seeking after the Lord any more than a mouse is looking for a cat. But there comes a point in time when you may wake up and you realize, well, I wonder if God cares about me. Long before you took a step in God's direction, he'd taken a step in yours. And he said this, and he said, and how much more? If when you were an enemy of God, he loved you and cared for you, how much more will he love you and be in your corner now that you're open to him? And if Christ is your advocate, and if Christ did so much for you in his death, that's the hard part, how much more is he going to continue to be your advocate and your intercessor and your savior and your friend alive? If he did all that for you dying, how much more is he going to continue to do for you living? Praise God. You know, If we didn't need a Savior, God would not have gone to so much effort and planning and expense and sacrifice to provide one. We need a Savior. And Jesus is the ideal answer for all of your worst moments. Time does not heal all wounds, but Jesus Christ can forgive every sin. And everybody in this room, we've all done wrong and we've all been wronged. And the answer for it all is the wonderful grace of God. My friend, have you learned the joy of guilt-free living? Conviction is a wonderful thing. Holy Spirit conviction where God gets our attention on something that needs correction, that's a wonderful thing. But don't you dare look God in the eye and say, 
what Christ has done for me is not enough. It's just not good enough. I'm too unworthy. Can't cover me. The sacrifice of Christ is just a little butter. But I'm the big piece of bread. What he did is just a little butter. I'm the big piece of bread. No. Rebuke yourself for that kind of thinking. Some of us need to repent of the sin of being overly discouraged by ourselves and not cherishing enough the wonderful, beautiful grace of God. Remember the Christmas story, Matthew 1? Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Now listen very carefully. Jesus did not come to save you from all of your problems. And there is a false gospel out there that if you teach it or if you believe it, you're going to become incredibly discouraged. Jesus did not come to save you from all of your problems. Sorry. Exhibit A would be the thief on the cross who had a really big problem, right? What was his problem? He's nailed to a cross. In fact, the other thief was saying, I got a problem, solve my problem, just get me down. But the thief who responded to Christ in faith said, Jesus, would you take care of my ultimate problem? Would you forgive my sins? Would you redeem my soul? If you want to harden someone's heart to the true gospel, you just go ahead and tell them the lie that Jesus came to fix all of their problems. I'm not saying he can't fix some of your problems. I'm not saying that he won't fix some of your problems. But if you believe Jesus came to be your great problem fixer, you're going to harden your own heart. And what you need to do then is take your Bible and cut out Stephen being stoned to death, James being beheaded, Paul and the other apostles being martyred for their faith. Cross out the verses that speak of going through fiery trials, of tribulation, of persecution, and of being hated for the name of Jesus. If you think coming to Jesus is the answer to fix all your problems, you're set up for disillusionment. Don't mishear me. The Lord is, loves you, is with you, is for you, and we're invited to pray about everything. But he came to be our Savior and to write our name in the eternal book of life. Thirdly, but all the time, and at just the right times, Christ is with us. And yes, I do believe that he is with us in our problems. And sometimes they get solved, and sometimes we learn to cope, and he walks with us. But at all times, Christ is with us in our problems. Remember this statement from the Christmas, uh, from the Christmas story, Matthew 1? All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive 
and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. From Hebrews 13, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence then, the Lord is my helper, and I will not be afraid. I've got a question for you. Will you approach your future with expectations, or will you approach your future with a sense of expectancy? Similar wording, but not identical, and very different approaches to our future. You see, my friends, your future is a mystery. That's why you plan in pencil. And so, expectancy is a much better approach than expectations, because when you have expectations, very specific expectations, You set yourself up for disappointments. In fact, someone has well said that expectations are simply resentments just waiting to happen. Expectations are resentments just waiting to happen. Um, Expectancy, on the other hand, places my future in God's hands with a sense of expectancy. It's a mystery. I don't know what's around the corner, but this I do know. Even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is what? With me. He is with us. And whatever the future holds, the Lord is there. And so I've got to take life on God's terms, not mine. Going to have goals, going to have dreams, going to have some plans. But you place it all in God's hands with a sense of expectancy, not expectations. Expectations, my plan. Expectancy, God's plans. Expectations about control. Expectancies about hope and a sense of peace that goes with it. You know, even our future home, heaven, the Bible gives us some images about it. It's like this. It's like a city. You know, it talks about you know, golden streets. It gives us some images, but not very many specific expectations. Here's what the Bible basically says. Your eye has not seen, your ear has not heard, your imagination cannot even begin to fathom what God has in store for you. And so even your future right here and now, expectations, oh, be careful of them. There are resentments waiting to happen, disappointments waiting to have something to be mad about. This didn't happen. I got to control it. Plan, work, try to do good. But take those expectations, set them aside. But a sense of expectancy, the Lord is with me. The Lord is for me. The Lord is for us. And we know that for those who love the Lord, all things work together for His 
good purposes. At just the right time, Christ was born into our world, praise God. At just the right time, Christ died for our sins. And if he died for our sins, how much more is he at work now that he's living, reigning on high? And at just the right times, God will be with you, whatever you face. And last of all, and this is the time, to boldly welcome Jesus into your life. Maybe for the first time or in a very, very fresh way during this Christmas season. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 says, says it like this. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Here's what I'd say to you. Now is the time to make that fresh commitment to the Lord. Now is the time to be baptized into Christ. Now is the time to make that apology if you need to make it. Now is the time to reinvest in the discipling of your children. Now is the time to reinvest in the health of your marriage. Don't put off doing the good thing the God-honoring thing you want to do. In the fullness of time, God sent his son born of a woman. And when that baby grew to be a man, he stepped on the pages of history as Jesus of Nazareth. And he extends a very simple invitation to all of us. Follow me, he says. The story of Jesus is true the story of Jesus is good. Embrace it. Live it. Cherish it. Love the Lord. Follow the Lord. Honor the Lord. Worship Him. Be the best decision you'll ever make. Just keep coming home to the Lord. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. And He is coming again.